program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom with all thy getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com talkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also you can go to a bb2me.com that's a-b-i-b-i-t-u-m-i dot com forward slash time for an awakening they stream out of Ghana or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices TuneIn is a free app in the TuneIn radio app just type in time for an awakening there you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with a live stream on the TuneIn app. Yeah. Drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com. Again, that's time for an awakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening. Also, have the fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. And also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things placed in the market all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.09 here on this uh, 25th of December, Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening in uh, this cold Sunday evening here in Philadelphia, Arctic temperatures here, and it's like that in a lot of places across the country. But happy to have you here on this edition, Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh, the guest this evening is everyone that wants to come on and pay an online tribute to one of our former hosts, activist, educator, 
and host of the Black Reality Think Tank, Dr. William Rogers. We're doing an online memorial to him this evening. And we're looking forward to your call and reflections on Dr. Rogers. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to 
find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening in 714 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine um, for the 25th of December, and I'm looking forward to all the praise that and acknowledgement that um, we have to offer and to you know about um, what Dr. Rogers has really um, gave us and and you know been able to impart with us through his life's journey um, here um, when he was with us. You know, I. Um... I reached out to uh, to Brother Oshi. You know, I, I met Dr. Rogers through Brother Oshi and, and uh, getting him involved in doing the program on Time for an Awakening. And we always had interesting discussions off the air about some of the shows he wanted to do, uh, some of the ones that he had done. It was always interesting dialogue and discussions whenever I talked with Dr. Rogers. And it, he'll, he'll be sorely missed. Um, I, I uh, went back and pulled up one of his last shows and uh, did one of his intros here and I'll play this because I want to hear from some of the men and women that knew him best but I'll play this to kind of lead into our, our first uh, person that I want to see up here look like his brother Kwaku that I want to get involved in the conversation we got uh, several folks up here that I want to get involved brother Alfonso Watkins from the uh, the elders of San Kofa, I see he's up here. But let me play this uh, little intro here that uh, <laughs> I pulled up from uh, Dr. one of Dr. Rogers' last podcasts that he put up. You are listening to Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Hotep and greetings, my sisters and brothers. Welcome to the Black Reality Think Tank. My name is Dr. William Rogers, and I am your host for the evening in the good old hot Atlanta down in the southern part of the USA. It is right now, it is a rainy night in Georgia. And uh, so uh, hopefully it won't interfere with our discussion tonight. Um, but uh, yes, you will probably hear some. Uh, it's kind of slowed down just a little bit. So I'm so happy that you are able to join us tonight. We weren't with you last week. Had to take a break. <clears throat> but we are here tonight with you, and we're going to uh, talk about something that I think you might find very, very interesting. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we have been kind of playing around with the idea here 
um, in looking at the whole thing of the uh, African embracing of Christianity and uh, the back church impact and, and some of those things. Um, and so tonight I've decided to take a look at some research that I have been working on for a while. Uh, and this research uh, deals with those issues. Uh, and it goes back to helping us to understand how that happened. You know, it wasn't just something that we went running to because we wanted to be that, because we, we thought that this was the best thing for us. That's not how it happened. And the research that we are going to show tonight and talk about tonight will explain that very clearly. Just a little small segment of one of the last podcasts that Dr. Rogers put up on the site. Um, and like I said, we want to hear from some of the people that knew him best. Uh, Brother Kwaku, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> how you doing, Brother Elliot? <laughs> Brother Richard? I'm glad, how you feel? I'm um, glad to have you with us tonight. Um, I would have missed this opportunity to speak on, with, on Dr. Rogers because I've been known him for well over 30 some odd years. Talk about his impact because, you know, I, I, listen, it, like I said before, we had conversations on the air. It's, it it, it do not even amount to anything to the relationship you had with him. But just talk about his impact as a man. Long before he even started doing a radio program, he was an activist, an educator. Just talk about your experiences with Dr. Rogers and the impact he made on your life personally. It's because of Doc Rogers is who I am. He made me understand that you have to think. When you had a conversation with Dr. Rogers, it was a, it was a lesson. It was something that uh, uh, if anybody took the time to listen, you would learn something from him. And it's wisdom that he always extended to me. And uh, I'm going to be forever grateful knowing him, just to be in the same presence with this man. Uh, totally impacted my life, and he's going to impact the people that he touched. We got a lot of work to do. We got to continue to do what Doc Rogers did, is to teach, to always build on what we have to transition out of where we at. So he impacted my life tremendously. He was my Dr. John Henry Clark. Before I knew Dr. John Henry Clark, that was Dr. Rogers for me. And uh, he's truly going to be missed. But his spirit lives on in me because when he touched me and anybody I touch, he's going to be touching them. So uh, I'm going to always uh, honor him. Brother Kwaku, where did you uh, where did you first come in contact? Where did you meet uh, Dr. Rogers? In, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He... Uh, he had a, a place with Sister Ephama. Ephama Jackson, she she was uh, uh, kind of started Motherland Media. It's where, where me and brother, we should come out of Motherland Media because because of her. Um, she was the one who introduced me to Dr. Rogers. They had a, a, a place on 4th and Monarchy. And from that moment on, since I... He started enlightening me from my very first contact with him. We attended all kind of uh, conferences with the ASCAC, 
uh, at the Women's Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, we used to meet at the DNR building, and it was the intellectual uh, stimulation that I got, and many people got being in the same room with this man. And he became a. Um, there's other people that was in the community. Uh, uh, Brother Teju, I met Brother Oshi, been on Brother Oshi and Brother Teju, and all these people. These are the people that inspired me. Dr. William Rogers, uh, Claiborne Benson, uh, the people that we got a chance to meet and being around these people, these intellectual people that made you think. So, oh, I can go on with the different stories, but then it's just only fair that people get to know, anybody that didn't know him, it was like you sitting in the classroom because if you sit and listen to what he had said, you learn something from him. And that's that's what I'm always carry with me with Dr. Rogers. Did he start the... the uh... Well, I can see from what you're saying, he had a black reality think tank going on long before he had to, he, he started the radio program. Oh. But did he start the ASCAT group there in Milwaukee? Well, him, uh, brother Ron Powles, uh, he transitioned several years ago. These are some brilliant men. And we had all, we used to have all kind of, um, the ASCAT conference. I, I recorded some of them. I, I, I do have a few of them on videotape just the conversation that we used to have about uh, history, uh, the plight of us in this country, and the things that we have to do, do, do to change things. And we're still evolving. It's our work to do. It was his work to do. He did his, he did his job while he was here. He did it. He planted seeds. He pointed people in different directions. He made people start understanding that there's a purpose for us being here. We just got to learn how to get there. And just working with him, just being around him, it was always inspiring to me. It was just, it just made you think. And that's what we got to start doing. It's, it's all of our jobs. We're in this thing together. We got to do it. It ain't me. It ain't you. It's us. Until we change it, that's when it's going to change. And Doc, it showed in Doc Rogers' work, the radio podcast that he did. It made you think. It made us put things in a different perspective and say, okay, how do we change them? Because that's what he did. He inspired you to think. I suggested to him about something that he, when I thought I was on the track for maybe titling a book. The title I was thinking about uh, was, uh, the title of the book was State of Mind. Having a conversation with him, he made me understand that the t- that was just a chapter. It wasn't the title of the book because it's got to be your state of mind. Whatever you do, it's got to be within your state of mind. But that's just, just a chapter. He just made me think. And he, I grew knowing him. I grew as a human being. I grew as what it was meant to be learned, to be able to offer some kind of guidance, some wisdom. Those are the things that I got from Dr. William Marches. 
uh, a brother Oshie had mentioned to me that he met Dr. Rogers, and I, they, he can kind of clear it up when he comes on here. I think he said that he met him when they, they formed a concern uh, black men organization in Milwaukee, but I'll, I'll wait for Brother Oshie to come on and uh, kind of talk about his reflections on Dr. Rogers. Let's go uh, and stay with us, Brother Kuku. Let's let's uh, bring Brother Alfonso Watkins in on this conversation. Brother Alfonso, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Baba. How are you doing today? Great, great. I'm glad to have you with us to give your reflections on on uh, the life and the impact that Dr. Rogers had on you. Um, yeah, and, and talk about it because you you're from Milwaukee also. So, um, how long have you known Doc, and where did you meet him? Um, I, um, I met Doc. It's probably you know I got out the service. I got the Marines in '92, and uh, and when I came back to Milwaukee, uh, uh, I was aware of Doc, but I wasn't you know wasn't in, wasn't in the circles with him. So once I I, I um went to school at UWM Milwaukee and, and Doc was a professor there. So um I got an opportunity to meet. I never took any classes in the Afrocology department at that time. Um but I got an opportunity to meet him on campus a couple of times and then I, I started um getting involved and getting engaged in, in the community as with Ashcac and, and like Brother Quakes who just mentioned um all of those um all of those brothers and sisters uh were were, were just having some very intellectual um, conversations. Um, um, so the uh, awareness that they were uh, was giving us was once again just being in that circle. But then once again, once I started getting engaged and started being able to start having some more intimate conversations with Doc, I just realized once again, like Quake who just said, this this is our John Henry Clark because he could just go into conversations and bring up different authors and, and, and different subject matter that once again just moves your thought processes to a whole nother level. Um so so as I grew with being more actively engaged in the community, I started once again just start being able to be around um Dr. Rogers and Dr. Rogers would be having um he would be leading discussions in the community. He would be on panels. So so just being able to observe how he um, engaged with the community. One thing that I found real profound about Doc was that he, uh, in in his interactions with you, you knew you were being educated and nurtured um, in such a way where he was forcing you to reevaluate how you were going to articulate what you was thinking, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, and so his ability to use the language and then use history to, to get you to really be in tune with history and, and how history has evolved, but how history is constantly present in our daily interactions. So, so, so once again, just his ability to keep you engaged with history was for me was one of the most profound um, learning experiences from being around him. You know, and I could see that he uh, he always uh, uh, thought highly of you, brother Alfonso. I, I mean, I had never met you, but uh, he used to always talk about you and, and uh, mention that he wanted to bring you on to do the program, the Elders of Sankofa. So uh, I kind of think I know you without even meeting you, and that's through Dr. Oh, Rogers. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, you, man. How you doing, my brother? I mean, I... Oh. All right, big brother. Much love and respect to you, Quaco. Oh, much love to you as well, brother. You know, um, yeah. 
and then this brother go back a long way as go go back a long way as well. And, uh, yes, he yes. definitely had the warrior spirit because then uh, it was very few people that I could talk to in Milwaukee, and he was just one of the few that I got into some in-depth discussions about uh, just life in general, and we understood that we was at war. And right. I, yeah, you know, I served in the military as well. Uh, uh, I was in the Marine Corps. Well, I got out in in eighty. I mean, in eighty one when when I got out of the and and, uh, and that's when I came in contact with Brother Ron Pounds, uh, Teju, Claiborne Benson. I even had the opportunity to meet um, uh, 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 J- Dr. James Cameron of the mm. Black Hawk. Do you remember right. that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So those those was the elders. Those was the people that uh, um, uh, that I was that impacted my life. And right. it just think, yeah. So, but uh, uh, I think we was very fortunate knowing Doctor. Yeah. Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 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 Um, and like I say, as, as we continue to have this conversation, other people start to join in on the conversation. It, it's just um, we, as as we continue on with this struggle, it's just certain people who are, who are going to have an impact on you, and you just don't realize the impact until you can't touch them again, or until you can't call them again. You know, it's it's it's, it's he's one of those type of people that you know you you he's definitely going to be missed as it relates to being able to call him and and have a a intimate conversation um about life um an intimate conversation about life um and in history so he he's definitely truly going to be missed um as it relates to being in this physical realm with us but um his spirit is his legacy um his his ideal of creating um black think tank radio um, it, it is manifest, and it's, it's our responsibility to continue um, that vision of the, that intellectual component of being able to function in a think tank think tank format. Um, mm-hmm. He's taught me so much on that level as related to discipline and thought, and discipline and disciplining your energy to to come up with 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 not just solutions, but how to activate those solutions. I totally agree. <laughs> Richard, uh, I, I'm listening to Brother Alfonso talk about the uh, uh, the think tank format that Dr. Rogers kind of set up in there in Milwaukee, and it kind of reminds me with some of the work that you do here in the city with some of the young folks. And, you know, as y'all were um, speaking, Brother Kwaitu and Brother Alfonso, I was wondering, as we talk about Dr. Rogers and, and the impact he has had on our lives, and as a as a uh, a part of the uh, intellectual warfare that he was engaged in, mm. can can you give um, something that impressed upon you personally as far as a field of study that you, he didn't intentionally say for you to go down that path, go down that rabbit hole, but was something that based off of that conversation, that exchange you had, that you decided to explore more. Is there some subject matter that um, Dr. Rogers presented to you men that made you go go down a path to get a, a further understanding of that tool or shield in this intellectual warfare? 
Yes. <laughs> well, for me, for me personally, I mean, it, it didn't matter what the subject was. Mm. He he had he had an understanding of uh, how you should uh, look at it. If you had a, a point of view that you you embraced, what he did kind of like in his own way of just being in his presence, the questions that he would ask you, it would be as if he shook you and said, okay, look at it this way. Did you try looking at it? Okay, it's okay to look at it this way, but look, maybe look at it this way. And that's what he was good at. He knew how to draw some kind of, it didn't matter what the subject matter was. He made you look at things in a very, very objective way. And that's what he was able to pull out of, at least that's what he did for me. Now, I, I'm only speaking from my own, my personal experience. But that's what I got from him. He was always making you stop and think. And it, it didn't matter what the subject matter was. I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. But what he did was made me, he suggested I get the book without sanctuary. Because we had a, a discussion on race. And I went and got that book. And when I sat down and started reading, it made me understand basically what you're dealing with when you're dealing with racism. Mm. So it made mm. me think. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, whether it was race, we talked about uh, homosexuality, things like that. Most of his programs, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to listen to, listen to his programs. It was always enlightening. I much rather listen because I... I learn when I listen. I can talk, but I prefer to listen. And it was just wisdom. We have to learn to listen. Like I shared earlier, that my great-grandmother, she told me when I was a kid, she said, you got two ears and one mouth, and you should listen twice as long as you talk. That made sense to me. So I was always fortunate enough to listen to people that walked before me. And that's what Dr. Rogers have done. Brother Ron Pounds, I can go on and on about the people who transitions and now our, our ancestors. We have to honor them because they know where all the banana peels are. We slipped on them. They trying to prevent us from slipping on the same banana peel they did. So we got some work to do. So it didn't matter what subject he had the ability to draw uh, a way of making you think and then have some solutions to how you maybe look at a problem or how you, you, you're always looking for a solution. It was like, okay, what do we do about it? And that's what he was good at. And and, and that book that you mentioned, um, Brother Kiku, um, Without Sanctuary, is lynching, the lynching photography in America. And right. for you, Brother Afonso, um, was there a, a, you know, a subject that uh, that in y'all exchange that you based off of that exchange with Dr. Rogers, you went and wanted to explore more and, and came, come out that helped your intellectual um, fortification. Yes. Yes. Um, as, so like I said, as I, as I evolved, I eventually got um, my degree in um, educational psychology. I would have focused in community counseling. Um, so when I would, would get the opportunity to be around um, Doc Rogers. He was always, um, once again, he, he's he's an educator. Um, he's an educator. He's profound at at being able to help 
um, individuals, whether they're students or individuals in a in a in a in a in a, in a form, um, advance us or help us look at things from an intellectual perspective. So um, uh, as I evolved, he he would introduce like I wasn't aware of Bobby Wright. Mm. Um, so so he put me up on Bobby Wright, and once I started reading Bobby Wright, that just took me to you know Brother Kaman. It <laughs> took me to um, uh, Francis Cress. It, it took me into um, Amos Wilson. So so him just helping me understand or helping me get a foundation of African black um, African de- black developmental psychology. I contribute that to him just once again always pushing you in a direction to give you foundational information to help shape. Uh, so he really, to help. So for my case, as a clinician, he helped shape my theoretical orientation um, with understanding what is African black developmental psychology. Mm. Uh, and so, 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 so as I, so as I have evolved and being in his space, and once again, I'm truly honored that he would, um, always um, want to or include me in those clinical conversations. And once again, he recognized that he is once again, that gave me the insight to move in that direction um, to, to start studying uh, more of the foundational information um, as it relates to how we have been evolving under this condition of, um, of white supremacy and, and racism. So, so that I would say once again, from a from a psychological perspective, he introduced me to that uh, African Black developmental psychology component. And it's interesting, Elliot, um, and, and I appreciate both of you, man. Um, response: um, the book that you or the the psychologist that you mentioned, um, Bobby, Bobby Wright, um, the one at least the psychopathic racial personality, which is the text. Um, one thing that was in there was the need to create a social theory. Elliot and, yeah. and and that um, brother, uh, you know, Dr. Rogers was, uh, from what I'm hearing so far, he was in assisting in developing us to 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 do that, right? Um, to look at to to be in this project as a part of wherever we come from to be a part of that development of that uh, social theory using education using psychology, using history, being grounded in our historical, classical historical component. So I appreciate your response. Um, We just had uh, uh, another friend of Dr. Rogers, uh, Dr. Bruce Bridges. His call just dropped. If he's still, still, uh, maybe he can call back. I've seen his call up here and was going to him, but it just dropped off. So give us a call yeah, back, Dr. Bridges. Yeah, he's definitely going to be able to give us more of of, of how Doc evolved his evolution. Um, Dr. Bridges has a much more of a, a, a personal relationship with Doc from um, from both of them from North Carolina. So, yes, he's definitely going to be able to give us a little more insight to how Doc evolved and, and, and got to the point of, of coming from Dorm to Milwaukee. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll wait on his uh, his call back because he was here and he just dropped off. So let's uh, we'll grab a, a couple more while we wait on him. Let's go to because uh, there's a couple more calls here from Milwaukee, and I, I don't know who they are. So let's go to four one four four one four. Are you there? Your line is open. Yeah, 
Let's put them back on hold. Uh, another Milwaukee here. It's a 414-429. Milwaukee. Let's put them back. Let's go to 225 in Baton Rouge. 225. Can you hear me? Let's put them on hold. Let's go to 267. 267. Yes, uh, Brother Elliot, I just can't talk about Dr. Rogers without about talking about you. And I can't talk about you without talking about your dad because I met your dad and I was able to use his office as a campaign office and it was a, more than just that, it was a study group that it, that it contained. And we developed relationships. So hearing you one time on the radio on another station and having a very similar format that you have now, I was able to follow you from one place to the next and you would you would make a transition on what you're doing now, what you're doing now. And it is through you that I could meet a man named Dr. William Rogers from hearing your program. So this man's uh, knowledge base and his intellect and his connections with other people expanded what you and I met upon, which was knowledge, intellect, building, constructive criticism, discourse. Here's a man that contained it all. And automatically when I heard his voice, like I heard you speak, we automatically connected. We had something in common that we could build on. So with that, his guests became my friends. It's a, uh, a sore and ayat in the Holy Quran that talks about believing in the unseen. Well, that's what that's about. The unseen, in other words, you you uh, can hear the wind, you can't see it. There's different elements that you can hear and you can't see it. The wind is one of them. Well, the relationship I had with Dr. Rogers and the Black Reality Think Tank and his group of men and women, I have not seen them. I have not met Brother Lush. I have never met Dr. Bridges. I have never uh, met Mr. Pugh, who I call Professor, or the people, or, or Sister Benisawa, and Sister Dee Dee, and, uh, and the list goes on. You know, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I talk to those people all the time. And even when he was not around and he, in, in the reality think tank with his voice, with his host would go on, we would gather to do our own conversations. And, uh, he was a man who I would put up there with your dad. I have a good relationship with older people. I always did. People always said that I had an old mind. And that's how we connected. We talked about music. We talked about history. We talked about the woman, the role of the men, economics, social, political. And he didn't agree with everything certain people said. But he would let you get out there in your parking place of ideas and debate upon it and talk and prove it. And we would come out with a catharsis and say, hey, look, I learned something. We learned something. Listen, every day since Dr. Rogers' passing, I felt that he took away from us and I couldn't, we couldn't grab him. It's like, he, they, it's like uh, they held him. First, it went from him once. It went from texting to him not getting back with me. It's like he disappeared. And I heard all these rumors and these things that weren't true. And these things that were true. So my thing to you is uh, when things like that 
go away from you. I saw a movie with Denzel Washington called Deja Vu. And it was based in New Orleans. And what had happened is they started from the back of the film and, and it went to the front. And I'm going to use that. I'm not going to be long with it. That what had happened is, is that he went to the back of the film to save this girl, rescue out of this car. And he was, he was trying to escape her from dying in himself. I would have liked to somehow caught up with Dr. Rogers and said, hey, man, we don't go nowhere. What you want me to do? How can I get you out of this? Even though I don't know the whole, whole story. And I'm going to say this to you. I had talked about a person like Dr. Bridges. And Dr. Bridges was always right there behind him, picking up like we all thought. We all could have taken, we could have been like the Temptations. We all could have taken the mic and did a shit. But it was something about Dr. Bridges and uh, Dr. Rogers that I would like to see him do something like to be continued. That's what the, some of the best movies have been sequels. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, you know, uh, The Color of Money, uh, uh, The Hustler. You know, the uh, best movies that we want a repeat on, uh, Black Panther 2. So that is my relationship with him believing in the unseen. He would have me go to the library. He would have me write things now. I would be in his class like I'm on your show. So your show, your fa- your father, I got to you. Through you, I already knew Richard before I knew you. Through you, able to get to Dr. Rogers, and from him, I was able to get to other people. That's my uh, thing. Thanks for your contribution, bro. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the show. Talk to you. All right. Let's go to uh, 919. This is Dr. Bruce Bridges, good friend of Dr. Rogers. Good to have you with us to uh, give you reflections on your good friend. How are you, sir? All right. And I don't know if anybody told you, it might be my phone. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we got a phone. We got a bad connection, and I want to be able to hear everything you're saying. I, I, I want to let you know. You do know it. Okay. Um, is, is it anywhere you can get I just, to it? I just want is it Go ahead. I'm sorry. Is it any you can get to a, a, better, a more solid connection? Because I'm hearing, like, every fourth word. Okay. Uh, let's see. I can call you from another phone. Is it my phone? Yeah. If you could call us from another line, that would be great. Let me call you back on the phone and see because I think it's your connection not okay well we, uh, just just uh just ring us back and I'll I'll try to pick you up as soon as you come on I can hardly hear you at all let's go to a couple more of these calls before we take a uh, break uh Let's go to another uh, Durham line. 919. Durham, you're there. Okay, let's go to uh, 804 in Richmond. 804? I guess people just want to hear about Dr. Rogers, but they might not have any personal. Let's go to Montgomery, Alabama. Montgomery. Brother, Brother Elliot, thank you so very much for picking my call. 
And for the few moments that I do have, I want to, uh, I just want to say that my experiences with Dr. William Rogers almost reflects that of uh, Brother Timothy in Philadelphia there, um, in a sense that in being here in Montgomery, Alabama, since uh, Hurricane Katrina that got me out of New Orleans, um, I searched for the kind and type of conversations that could be had along the lines of me being a black man in America, Southern United States. And uh, coming across your program, and I want to thank you and, and, and Brother Richard uh, for the work that you all have done, because this was the very first program that I tuned into. And from this program, it led me to uh, Dr. Rogers on Tuesday evenings. And I, I have never met the authenticity that Dr. Rogers has brought to me and to us because the connectivity that has been established between me here in Montgomery to Philadelphia to Durham, North Carolina, to uh, the state of Tennessee, back in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of people that I have been allowed to meet through this, through his program and through his discussion. And one of the questions that uh, Brother Richard had mentioned about what path did I kind of, uh, what path was taken? He really didn't mean to go through that. Um, and, you know, he may have suggested it. I, I may have kind of chopped it up, Brother Richard uh, and Brother Elliot, excuse me. But for me, he introduced me to his teacher. And, and his teacher being uh, the Earl Thorpe. Earl uh, E. Thorpe, in the book that he had written uh, was The Mind of the Negro, an Intellectual History of Afro-Americans. And so since ordering that book and since putting that book next to me and reading, I could kind of understand and see the kind and type of energies that Dr. Rogers had brought forth. And uh, I really have to tell you, man, whenever he had been in the same breath mentioned with John Henry Clark and, and Ben Yachemid and those other historians that were out there, it just which it just raises the hair on my neck, to tell you the truth. And to be so close to where John Henry Clark was born here in Union Springs, Alabama. So all of it is just being put together, uh, Brother Elliot. And so I want to thank you. I want to thank all of the other brothers and sisters throughout the Montgomery area I mean, and the, the Milwaukee area and other places throughout the contiguous United States. Uh, it is a pleasure to have known you, and I hope to keep his energy alive as I work from day to day and continue to press on. Thank you so very much for taking my call, brother. Before, before you go, what was uh, Richard, were you familiar with the title he was talking about? What was that title again? <laughs> uh, the Mind of the Negro. Yeah, the mind of the Negro, uh -huh, an intellectual history of African Americans or mm -hmm. Afro Americans, is by Earl Thorpe. That was his teacher, uh, who kind of inspired him um, to push forward. And so uh, I just took it upon myself to uh, order that book and and make it a part of my library. You just made it a part of mine. So I'll let you know. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks You're for, very welcome, sir. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Thank you for all the work that you do, and I continue to be a supporter of the Black uh, uh, Talk Radio Network system. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Let's go to back to Durham. This might be 
Uh, Dr. Bridges from another line. Uh, 919? Dr. Bridges? Yes, sir, brother. Can you hear me? Oh, I hear you great. Okay, good. So it must have been my phone, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, no problem. We hear you loud and clear now. Okay, good. Um, I just wanted to um, make a couple points, and that is that um, the Dr. William Rogers that you knew and brother, you know, both of you, brother, um, brother Oshi and uh, brother Kwaku and other brothers, brother Kwasi in Milwaukee and other people in the Milwaukee area, the Holy Redeemer, all the people. I think it's very important to look at what formed his thinking and what made him become the man that he was or become the mind that he was. And in order to do that, I think that probably I would be uh, best able to do that because I knew of his history in Durham and how how he actually became the Dr. William Rogers that you all knew. So that's why I'd like to take it uh, for a few minutes and don't want to take up all the time. I never like to do that. But he grew up in a segregated community in Durham, North Carolina called the West End. And he grew up on a street called Carroll Street. And on that particular street on the West End, he grew up with his father and mother. His father was a principal at the elementary school, and his mother was a school teacher at the same school. He also grew up on the street, Carroll Street, from a very well-known person that some of your people might want to do some research on named Pauli Murray. And Pauli Murray was from Durham, but she worked with Thurgood Marshall. She was the first African-American Episcopalian female priest in the United States of America. She went to Howard University. Uh, She went to Harvard, uh, uh, went to Howard, but she was rejected to go to Harvard because of her color. And also, same thing for the University of North Carolina. So he grew up right up the street from Paulie Murray. And then, as one of your earlier callers said, he studied at North Carolina Central University under Dr. Early Thought. But before then, he was a student at A&T State University during the Civil Rights Movement when the um, National Guard was coming on the campus and shooting students uh, in various, on various college campuses around the country, which was no different at A&T when he finished uh, high school at Hillside High School in the class of 1962 and played football. But after dropping out at A&T, he went to New York and became a, a policeman in Brooklyn, New York. And Dr. Rogers would always talk to me about going to Louis Michaud's bookstore. And that also had a tremendous influence or impact on his mind by going to Louis Michaud's bookstore and Malcolm was living at the time. Of course, Malcolm didn't die until 1965. Dr. Rogers went to A&T in about 62, and I think he left after about a year and then became a policeman. So Malcolm was living during the time that he would go to Louis Michaud's bookstore. And, uh, of course, Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, um, um, Kwame Nkrumah, was it was was well Kwame had had gone though because Kwame uh, went back to Ghana of course and became the first president but Kwame Nkrumah had been at that same place on 125th Street called the Louis Michaud Bookstore and Louis Michaud's Bookstore had a slogan which was the House of Common Sense and the House of Proper 
propaganda. That's what he called his bookstore, the House of Common Sense and the House of Proper Propaganda. And so Dr. Rogers told me many times he would often frequent Louis Michaud's bookstore in New York and, um, and, and learned and studied and met a lot of the people that we talk about, like Dr. Ben, Dr. G.K. Osai, whose name you don't hear about too much, who wrote a book called The African, who was um, a comrade of Kwame Nkrumah who lived in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I used to go to Brooklyn myself and get books from Dr. Osai. And, uh, of course, so Dr. Rogers was around that kind of knowledge and that kind of information before he even went to um, undergraduate school at NCCU and got his degree. So when he went to NCCU, he was kind of already formed into being an Afrocentric thinker. So much so, he has told me many times that when he would go to class at NCCU and he would wear a medallion with the symbol of Africa, and of course you remember, and many of us remember, uh, we were people wearing those uh, leather medallions, and sometimes they'd be wooden with a string around them with Africa. And he said he wore one to the history department at North Carolina Central University, and the professor, one of the professors said to him, what is that? And he said, that's a map of Africa. And the professor said, why are you wearing that? And he said, because this is, this is me, this is our culture, our heritage. But the professor of history at North Carolina Central University did not like the fact that he was wearing a symbol of Africa around, the, around his neck. And I, I want to make it clear that many of the history departments around the country, even today, and especially during the time that Dr. Rogers was in school, followed that Carter G. Woodson type of thinking, which was more geared towards the Negro in America and did not spend much time on black people in Africa. Even Dr. Woodson, if you go to any of his conferences today, and I heard Brother Lush call a few minutes ago, he went to the Association for the Study of African American Life and History in Montgomery, Alabama. But it's still basically a, 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 a group of Negroes in America with very few connections to Africa. So Dr. Rogers ran into that problem when he went to North Carolina Central University, and I can relate to it myself because I came through that department and I had some similar happenings to me, you see. So that clashed with him. Another clash that Dr. Rogers had, which formed him and made him become the person that he became, is growing up in Durham, North Carolina, if you know anything about Dr. Rogers, if you've seen him before, he's a very melanated brother, dark complexion, and he told me many times on more than one occasion that his mother would always make him put Natanola on his skin every night before he went to bed. And she told him several times on a regular basis that you will fare better in this world if you were a lighter complexion. So I'm saying that to say that these are the kinds of things that affect human beings and make them become the way that they are. And to those of you and some of y'all who knew Dr. Rogers in his later years have heard him, as I have, on the Black Realty Think Tank on Tuesday night talk about the whole 
color stratification in Durham, North Carolina, and not just Durham, North Carolina, really across America, with the lighter skin considered to be the better than the darker skin, with the thin, straight hair being better than the coarse, thick, nappy hair, you see, or with the whole idea of fraternities and sororities that he saw at North Carolina Central University where the Deltas would not allow you to become a Delta in their sorority unless you were a certain complexion. You had to be of a certain, as they, as they defined it, caliber, however they defined it, of a person to even become an Alpha Phi Alpha, as Dr. Martin Luther King was, or to become an Omega Psi Phi, as Jesse Jackson is, you see. So all those kinds of things, the whole idea of... Um, color stratification and fraternities and sororities and being from certain neighborhoods, and it's not just Durham, I'm sure it's all over America. As a matter of fact, uh, E. Franklin Fraser wrote a book, The um, uh, Black Bourgeoisie, and he talks about this, you see, but it was quite prevalent in Durham, North Carolina, where color was important, social status was slash is important, as well as whether you went to school or not. So all these kinds of things, and to those who heard Dr. Rogers on Tuesday night, you all can, now you can understand a little clearer what I'm talking about and, how, and why he was as he was. It, would call, it was because of what had formed him and what had influenced him as a young child growing up in Durham, North Carolina. And then that same kind of thinking transcended from Durham, North Carolina, to NT State University, to New York City, uh, to NCCU, and then finally he hadn't forgotten it when he became a member of the faculty at the University of Wisconsin. So I can I could go on, but I don't, you know, I just, I, I'll just stop at that. But the point I just want to make is the fact that when we see a person and we see what they've done, we have to look back at what caused him or her to become the person that they became. It didn't happen overnight. There are a series of factors that influenced them in their early life that grew and developed and made them become the way they became. And I can definitely uh, say that uh, without any hesitation because I think of myself, and I grew up in the same kind of environment, and I understood from the opposite standard side of the totem pole that when I was in class growing up in elementary school, oftentimes the teachers would overlook some people and call on me, and their hands would be up first. And they knew the answer, and I just had my hand. I might not have known the answer, but because of who they were and who, I, who they perceived me to be, it was a different situation. So I just want to mention that, uh, brother, and then, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still listening. If you want to, you know, question me or ask me something else that I didn't talk about, I, I don't have a problem doing that. Another thing, too, I keep saying this, but I know so much about Dr. Rogers. He has a tremendous library somewhere, wherever it is. I really wish the Milwaukee people would try to search it out and find out where it is because he bought a lot of books from my store, a lot of rare books that you don't find in various other bookstores around, I mean in many other bookstores around the country. So if you all could find those books or where they're stored or if they're in storage or whatever and get them, it would be a, a tremendous loss if nobody 
can can recover those books. I mean, he he would buy just about everything related to the uh, black experience that he could. We're going to take so, a brief I'm break. I'm finished, but I'm still here. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, I, I, there's a couple of things I want to kind of revisit what you said, Dr. Bridges. Uh, okay. and I know, and hold I know, on, hold on. And I know Richard wants to jump in here also, but we're going to take a brief break, and I see Brother Quasi is on the line, so stay with us, Brother Quasi, and we'll come to you also. Uh, anybody else that want to get involved and uh, talk about the reflections of author, educator, Dr. William Rogers, uh, former host of Black Reality Think Tank. Uh, the line is open. You can get involved in that conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation, and I'm going to get right back to you, Dr. Bridges. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. 
abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you Black family, to join your interconnected you Black communities, Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who destroyed them in America. There are fools in this this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color, and that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your mind and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separatist position is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years.
this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.15 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And we're dealing tonight with an online memorial and tribute to activist, educator, and former host of Black Reality Think Tank, Dr. William Rogers, um, the line is open to anybody that wants to get involved in the conversation with any comment, uh, things that they have to say in reference to Dr. Rogers. You can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, I want to go back to uh, Dr. Bridges here a second. And, Richard, um, before I uh, – well, let me ask these two things to uh, Dr. Bridges. Dr. Bridges, you mentioned uh, – about uh, your store. You had a bookstore? Yes. Okay, in, in Durham. Yes, and since you asked that question, it was the, and still the first and only African-American bookstore in the whole history of Durham, North Carolina, and also the second in the history of the state of North Carolina, first in the history of Durham, North Carolina, but the second in the history of the state of North Carolina because there was one called Yahuru that grew out of Greensboro, North Carolina, A&T State University. A couple of uh, students at A&T started one called Yahuru in Greensboro, but mine opened after that, but it was the first in Durham, North Carolina. And at one time, uh, I even had a bookstore in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is an hour from Durham. At the same time, I had one in Durham and also had one in Charlotte, North Carolina. All three located 
directly across from black universities. The one in Charlotte, North Carolina, was right near Johnson C. Smith University, a historically black college. The one in Greensboro was directly across the street from NT State University. And the one in Durham was right down the street or up the street from North Carolina Central University on purpose. So I have quite a bit of history, brother, that most people don't know about. And as a matter of fact, there have been books written about Durham and even some black people to just show you how Durham is. Most people don't know this, but they talk about, there's a book out called Durham First, and they talk about several things, but they don't mention me or my stores because of the fact that I was not, I am not from that so-called upper crust Negro society in Durham, North Carolina, and as some people have told me, didn't go along with, I, I never came in, never went into the house, as if some people have told me, you need to come into the house. If you come into the house, then you, you know, people will begin to credit you and, understand, and, and, and show more positivity towards what you're doing, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of Negro. You see. So anyway, that's just a little history on the no bookstore in Durham. First and only black bookstore in the history of Durham, North Carolina. And I used to bring people in like I had Dr. Ben at my store. I had Umar Johnson at my store before he became well known as Umar Johnson, as you all know him today. I had Ishaka Moose at my bookstore, Ashra Kwesi, uh Naeem Akbar, Susan Taylor from uh, uh, Essence Magazine. I also had uh, Bruce Wright, the judge lawyer from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Sister Soldier has been in my store. I had a group of, group of Afro-Venezuelans at my store speaking. And so these are just, and that's just a few of the things I've had going on at my store and that I brought to Durham, North Carolina. But the kind of town that this is, is a kind of town that does not seem to respect knowledge and show appreciation for information and enlightenment, as I think they should have. So I got a story to tell too, but it's not about me tonight. But since you asked me, I just wanted to go into that, brother. Oh. But Dr. Rogers would always come whenever he came to Durham, North Carolina. He'd come to my store and get a meal in the restaurant because I had a bookstore, restaurant, and jazz club all in one bookstore. <laughs> oh <That's> man! <laughs> you you lucky Richard didn't live in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, so but, 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 but that's how I was. Every Friday night I had jazz in my bookstore, and um, um, uh, every day from from 11 to 8 o'clock at night, you could come in and get a meal from Monday through Saturday, and the bookstore was open from, from, from 11 to 8, Monday through Saturday. But on Friday, I had live jazz before anybody. Jazz in the hood, in the black community in Durham, North Carolina. And just to show you the kind of mentality that you find in the Negro sector of Durham, North Carolina, as as as, as E. Franklin Frazier talked about, the black bourgeoisie, most of my customers on Friday night who would come to hear the jazz and to have dinner were white professors and students from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is 10 minutes from my store. And professors and students from Duke University, which is about the same amount of time in Durham, North Carolina, same city. So in other words, most of my customers on Friday night were white customers who were students and professors at Duke University and North Carolina 
State University in Raleigh, UNC students and professors from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Very few NCCU, which is right up the street, black professors, will come and patronize me. And this is why I wrote my book called Recapturing the African Mind. And I want to mention that because uh, my book, Dr. Rogers loved my book, and he would oftentimes quote it on, on Tuesday nights. You all probably have heard him talk about my book. My book came as a result of seeing how black people made moves that showed that we are definitely out of our minds. And so I did the research and, and, and I published, wrote and published my book called Recapturing the African Mind. Richard? You know, you know uh, until you you mentioned that 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 center, the mental center, as far as the that was that's beautiful as far as to have a bookstore, um, you know, and and a place you can eat, and you know, place that you can listen to, um, you know, African African American classical music. It's, it's, it's I like that. That's jazz, right? African American, right? <laughs> You know, it's, it's just it's just like you know, great to to, to kind of hear that. And it's interesting that that is it. That's that business model um, isn't multiplied um, so many places. But one thing, other thing that you said that um, struck me that is important, um, not just for Milwaukee, um, but for all of us, as especially those of us, um, you know, looking at what Dr. Rogers is being, uh, Jelle, you know, a, a, a oral historian. A, a professional historian in the context of the West, and 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 also, and now um, a memory, you know, a library that you know reinforced his memory in the people that he touched is about the books. You know, I hope that the point that you made and you spoke to those in Milwaukee that all of us um, recognize for those people who collected those texts, because I find a lot of times in my short experience that um, women and men, men and women, have over their time collected these libraries that I don't think are going to be picked up in Google, right, um, in Google and in, in whatever this thing, you know, Google. But they were critical in relationship. And I don't know, um, even Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark's libraries are not centered in black folks, um, under black folks' auspices, because we're not no 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 is no is BB King's BB King's library and his memorabilia right right yeah and so I, I just wanted to reemphasize that point because I you know uh, around me you know I I know people who have done the same thing as far as you know go and collecting their life is right and collecting these books um you know and then at that point they either get picked up by these white universities and then nobody really review them or. Um, they um, they get and unfortunately they get put in the trash. So you putting out that call to those in Milwaukee, like to to identify where they are and take ownership of it, um, in the sense of directing where it should go, is like into our important. But the question that came as you and Ellie was in discussion, and the discussion with you, um, the period that you and um, um, Dr. Rogers were in engage with each other, you know, uh, um, closely or at a distance, what would you say was Dr. Rogers' intellectual project um, that he was engaging? We know, based off of even the conversation here, how he influenced people. We know, as you you gave, um, how his development inspired. But could we, could you say that he ever spoke to or you ever 
a surmise from a, a, a project, an intellectual project that was his life work, if I if I may say, if that makes sense. I'm trying, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think as you ask me the question. Um, um, I think uh, I think one thing he was trying to do, as I think about it, his overall mission seemed to be in everything that he did in terms of his black reality think tanks on Tuesday night. It seemed like he was always trying to unify black people and to make us stop looking at all these differences that white people have had and have um have 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 have, have caused us to to keep us separate. I'm thinking about this thing you asked me. And I think and, I, and the reason I mention that is because I know he often talked about this class system among black America, this color system among black America. And he, 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 he was trying to eradicate that. So I think he was trying to make us know and to understand that we are one people from one traditional, not traditional, but one people from one source being of African origin and African descent as all humanity is. And that, we need to put these differences aside. That's one thing I think, as I think about it, um, I, I saw him trying to do. He didn't like all these differences that we have. He 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 he, he always disliked that. And we should, he should really talk about it. He would get very incensed about it. Not as much on the Black Reality Think Tank on Blog Talk Radio here with you all, but when I would have a one-on-one with him, I could tell it really bothered him when he thought back about this whole color thing among black America and this whole thing about who you are and your family, where you're from. Cause he should talk to me about when he went to Hillside high school, which is the largest black high school in Durham, North Carolina. And he talked about the fact that, um, you know, depending on what part of town you were from and who your family was, whether or not you got the recognition that you deserved and all those kinds of things, you know, the, the whole class culture in black America. He was totally against that. And he did. He definitely did not like that. That's one thing I, I know he's really talked to me about that a lot. I appreciate that. And, and yeah. at Seattle, we have a lot of people who would um, probably have. So I just, um, Oh, and, and, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I, I, I'll, I'll stay on. Yeah. I don't okay, like, I, there's one thing about me. I don't like to take up too much time. I'll stay on. Cause I know you got, I called several people and told them about this program. So I don't know if you've seen the nine one nine, but nine one zero bunch of my call. So I'm, I'm still here though. Oh, you're great. And, and, and Ellie and, and, and Dr. Bridges, I just want to make sure that book um, is, was that a, a GKOC, the African philosophy of life? That you yeah, his, no, his book was called The African by G.K. Osai, O-S-E-I. Okay. And uh, he's deceased now, and I don't know if you can get that book anymore. But in my book, I think around Chapter 10, I opened up Chapter 10, called, uh, and, and that chapter is called The Effects of Mind Destruction on African Americans. I start my chapter off by quoting Dr. Osai in my book, Recapturing the African Mind. Okay. I talk about his book and I, and I met him years ago. I met John Henry Clark years ago and was in sessions with him and Dr. Ben. But like I said, that's another story for another time. But I, I'm still on. I'll let you go. I'm I'm, I'm holding on. Good, uh, brother Quasi. I, I know I said I'm coming to you next, but we uh, we uh, we got a sister that jumped on. So let me let me go to her and then I'll come straight to you. Let's go to three three six. I think this is Sister Benicia. 
Yes, it is. Greetings, Brother Elliot. How are you? All right, Brother Richard. Hello? Oh, yeah, 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 he's, he's it. He's oh, okay. <laughs> How you doing now? I apologize. I was on mute. I didn't know it. Okay. That's okay. My phone has been acting up, so I have to make sure that I, you know, that the hearing is clear. I want to thank you so much, first and foremost, for everything that you do and have done uh, on uh, Black Talk Radio. And, um, and thank you for Dr. Rogers. You know, um, I had a whole lot to say, but in between my thoughts, I'm still grieving. Mm. I'm still grieving because he was my friend. And when you played his voice, you know, um, I just said, wow, I won't be talking to him anymore. So it's still, it's a, it's a little tough. You know, I knew him for about five, six years. Um, but we became very close. Uh, we confided in each other. And I have to say, I was honored. I was really honored that someone like him would confide in me. And then as I got to know him, I realized that he didn't have what oftentimes our, our scholars and, and academics have. Uh, and it's this huge ego. He was just, he was another brother. And he also created, he was about creating uh, the family dynamic with the people that he dealt with. So he dealt with you as, as, as your brother or a sister. And um, so that was part of his, the beauty of Dr. Rogers. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking about my memories of him. Uh, he was a deeply spiritual, spiritual man. Um, that was very important to him, and, and, and he didn't limit himself to any particular religion or spiritual system. You know, he uh, uh, looked at them all and engaged in different ones. Um, and he was open-minded for, you know how sometimes elders, you know, kind of become closed-minded or they're trained in a certain area, they just want to focus on that. But um, I found Dr. Rogers in many of our conversations just to be so open uh, to, to different ideas and different uh, ways of thinking. And so I just, I just really miss him. You know, I don't have anything deep to say. I just really miss him. Um, but I will say that as a friend, you know, he was a master teacher. I thought I knew a little something when I, when I first met him. Uh, and he taught me so much. I can't, you know, especially about history, um, that I just... I never understood how critical it is for uh, black people to know our history. And I actually had the nerve one day to, um, some time ago rather, to have a little debate with uh, Professor James Smalls, just one-on-one, -on -one, about history and its importance. And then once I got to know Dr. Rogers, I realized, you know, what Professor Small had been telling me you got to know your history, and that will. Um, what's the term he uses? Uh, eliminate the white man's mystery, or something like that. So, um, so yeah, he was he was a master teacher. He taught me so much about our history that helped me to make more sense out of the things that I thought I knew. Uh, I knew very little compared to you know what he actually brought to the table with me. Um, 
And what else do I want to say about them? Um, I think the last thing I want to say, because there's a lot I could say. Oh, let me talk about for a minute what Bruce, uh, Dr. Bridges was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Rogers called it the Negroocracy. He couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. And I had introduced this idea of internalized oppression, not idea, but the issue of internalized oppression amongst black folk, African people. And initially he was a little resistant. And as I broke it down to him, he started to talk about, you know, growing up, similar to what Bruce was saying, uh, Dr. Bridges was saying, and how he was called Sambo. I don't know if, if, if uh, Dr. Bridges, if you can still hear, um, but if, if you uh, are familiar with that, they called Dr. Rogers Sambo, the, the people in his community, even some people in his family. So he went through his share of abuse um, by us because of, you know, the brainwashing, the division, and all of the stuff, all the attacks that have, you know, been uh, uh, against us. And so at some point, he started to make, to connect the dots between how he grew up and internalized oppression. And he spent a significant amount of time uh, on his show highlighting the issue of internalized oppression and, and trauma of African people. And to see him, you know, be that open and to, to, to connect those dots, you know, at, at his age, not even that he was old, but like I was saying, sometimes we can be closed-minded. Um, I, he was just phenomenal. You know, um, always, in addition to being a, a, a teacher, he was a student. He was still a student. So he created this family of people that, you know, I've, I've been listening to, and I just uh, would like to see us continue that work of creating African-centered family who are about liberation because it's appearing that that's the numbers of us are dwindling. Mm-hmm. And that concerns me, you know, and we take on all these different names, you know, revolutionaries and conscious people. And I don't know what people are calling themselves. Oh, now it's all, all kinds of divisions, FBA. And <laughs> so it's this ridiculous fragmentation that's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, FBA, I think the F should start, uh, should mean fools, because how long are we going to allow, not allow, but fall into the traps of division? Well, we can't afford this. We really can't. So Dr. Rogers was just a wonderful man, um, and uh, he'll be missed by so many, by so many. So, uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say right now, but um, thank you for doing this. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about my friend because he he became my friend, and that's how I still see him. I'm gonna put you on hold and come back to you, sister. Hey, brother. Let's go to Brother Quasi. Brother Quasi, are you there? Brother. Can, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Okay. I hear you now. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> I tell you, um, I was blessed to uh, meet Doc Rogers. I met him a couple years ago. Um, Brother Afonso Watkins uh, had me come with him to some meetings uh, when they, he was starting the uh, Council of uh, Elders uh, in Milwaukee, the Sankofa Council of Elders. 
And from that point, uh, they were doing a, they were on the black reality think tank. They did some shows. Uh, and I think they did some with Doc Rogers and then uh, Dr. James. Uh, she, you know, has her some Sankofa uh, elders of, of Milwaukee. And then uh, Alfonso left, and then I started hosting some of the shows in his absence. And then me and Doc Rogers, because we would get together on Wednesdays and well, several times throughout the week in planning and preparation for the show. And uh, he told me, you know, I think I should kind of do my own thing because we were having some different conflicts at different times as far as things I wanted to talk about and things of that nature. And uh, he understood me real well. We had a lot of personal conversations on and off air. And um, and just being able to spend the personal time I was able to spend with him, to be his caretaker uh, for the last couple of years. Um, you know, he treated me like a son and uh, just allowed me to do a lot of personal things for him. And like I said, we were able to, I was just able, I was just blessed. Um, he, he just poured so much into me. He knew um, I was uncomfortable about the struggle and things that we're going through. And, and he just gave me so, so much ammunition in the in the books that he to, told me to read. You know, and sometimes I have a thought about this, that, or whatever after something I read, and then he'd say, uh, "Why don't you read this book?" And he turned me on to uh, Dr. Bobby Wright. And I read that book, and I just lost my mind. And I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. And, and then and one of the things that kind of tore me apart was like, man, all these people a lot older than me have read these books, but yet they talk like they don't know what to do. And I said, you still have Baba uh, Nelly Fuller out there. Uh, uh, and then uh, one of his students uh, on books, uh, Dr. Francis Quest Wesleyan, and and just all of that that, you know, I started reading and just learning so much. And uh, he was just a tremendous help to me. Sister Benicio was talking that, you know, like, I thought I knew something. And when I started talking to him and he started sharing things with me and, and just, just listening to the shows on the Black Reality Think Tank and, you know, uh, uh, listening to all the shows, uh, Brother O.T. shows, you know, Brother Elliot, just every, everybody, you know, it, it was just uh, magnificent. But like I said, he was uh, just a magnificent person. I'm going to miss him. Um, I really love just uh, making food for him. You know, he told me I should start my own restaurant, you know, because I would make him some soul food. You know, I'd make him, you know, the black eyed peas. I'd make him the smothered steak. Uh, you know, the fried chicken, ribs, all of that. Beef ribs, no pork, beef. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, I, we, it, it, it was just great. It was just great. And um, and when I took him to uh, his appointment, and uh, because a couple of times uh, it was it was another young lady, Dalen, and she was one of his students. And she, he called her his angel. She took care of him. If it wasn't me, it was, uh, it was her. Uh, and uh, we were over there weekly. You know, we spent most of our time there for the last couple of years. And then she 
went out of town uh, to Columbia uh, for a while out of the country. And uh, so in her absence, you know, I ended up just spending more and more time, which was an honor to me. And then he told me he wanted to go to Atlanta. He had was set up there. So I said, yeah, I'll take you there. He said, well, how much you going to I said, I'm not going to charge you. It's going to be an honor just to be riding with you all this. We're going to be talking. Oh, my goodness. You know, he slept most of the trip, but still, uh, it, it was uh, it was it was great. And then when we got down there, I stayed down there just to make sure he was squared away and he was with uh, Brother Koiku, and, uh, and then I got to meet Brother Oshie in person. Um, uh, so that was good. And like I said, Doc Rogers used to be a police officer back in New York, so we talked about that because I was a former police officer, so he talked about some of the things that he went through and and uh, so he was able to handle himself and deal with some situations and stuff like that. But there were, you know, always boundaries for us. And we talked about those different things. But he was just one of those people that um, it was just a fight in him. And he loved to fight in me. And, uh, and he knew that I was going to always be there for him as long as I had breath. So uh, I, I miss him dearly. Um, I, I, I speak with him uh He's one of the ancestors now, and, you know, I, I feel good because we've had just so many good moments, and just last I spoke with him and everything, and he just said, I'll get back to you, Quasi. I'll get back to you. And uh, uh, and uh, I never heard from him again since, uh, and that was the Sunday before they uh, had announced that they had said he was missing. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is tough uh, but for so many of us, but – I love them and appreciate them, and I'm glad you guys are just, uh, you know, paying this tribute to him. And I'm sure it's just going to continue, and I'm going to continue the fight. So uh, I thank you guys for just allowing me to just talk. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for your contribution. Let's go to uh, uh, Gary, North Carolina. Dr. Maxwell, are you there? Let's go to 214. That's uh, Grand Prairie, Texas. Are you there? Hi. I'm not. What's the last word? Is it 9047? Uh, y- y- well, yeah. you got me, so yes, I'm yes. talking. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this, is, um, this is Lotus, uh, Jay, and I have the opportunity to um, get to know Dr. Rogers very closely for the last eight years. And I have to tell you, um, that man is a jewel. And I am so honored to have had the opportunity um, to sit at his feet and just to learn what he had to teach and soak it all up. Um, And it's very interesting because Doc and I were working on um, launching some classes, some online classes to start in January. And interestingly enough, the one we were most excited about was um, uh, called Say Their Name and, and just keeping the memory of your ancestors alive. And I just did not expect for him not to be here to do this with me in January. So, but he left me with so much and I am going to share with whomever um, I can, what he taught me. 
uh, Dr. Rogers was just a, um, what I know of his work, personal work for the last years that I was uh, able to get to know him was the focus on the family. And he had um, like a burning desire to work cross-generational, which is a lot of the work that he and I did together uh, addressing generations as well as we did a lot of work um, and studying together on the dynamics of um, the relationship between the black man and the black woman and how it has impacted the family, thus our economic system and all of that. So we would just really spend a lot of time um, every day. We talked literally, he was really like a um, God sent him for me to be a uh, father figure after my father transitioned. That's my Baba. And so I'm very honored to have had such a jewel to come in and spend time with me spiritually, and which we will continue to do because he taught me so much about the ancestral world and, and that. And I don't want to, I'm not quite ready um, to accept that part, but that's okay because that's where he is. So we will continue the work and I will continue to do my part to keep uh, the memory of Dr. Um, William Rogers alive. So, and I'm in uh, Dallas, Texas, and he was on my talk show on a regular basis. I had a show called um, The Black of the Berry, and he was on with us on a regular basis. And then on Sunday, um, afternoons we did a round table discussion um which was a beautiful conversation we just zoomed and invited different people to come in and 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 talk about some different things we broke down different movies we broke down um uh, fairy tales with the vibe sleeping beauty all kind of things we would break down the political and the spiritual behind um these different things so i'm very very honored to have had the opportunity to sit at the feet of such a jewel. And I will do my part to continuously say his name and to have Milwaukee say his name because I will say it and have people say it behind me because he deserves that. So thank you. I just um, wanted to share a little bit about the impact that he's had on on my life. And um, I'm going to continue to keep his memory alive. So thank you. What's your name again, sister? Lotus, Lotus J, or Marvita. It it depends on what day of the week it is and what kind of work he and I were doing. But my stage name, uh, the radio shows, is Lotus. Okay. Thank you, sister, for your contribution. Thank you. All right. Uh, Let's go to Ashland, Virginia. Kirk, are you there? Kirk. Okay, let's put Kirk back on hold. Uh, let's go to a two one five two one five. I'll put them on hold. Let's go to three four seven in New York City. Three four seven. Hello. Yes, sir. Hey, man. I just wanted to um say that Doctor Rogers was a uh, a great African man, but the band. Not only had a wealth of knowledge, his presentation was always on point. And, um, you know, he made an effort 
to educate people, and he gave his all to um, our people. I'm I'm just wondering, did they have his homegoing service yet? I don't think so. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Bridges, you still on with us? Uh, have you heard anything in reference to his uh, uh, home? I think I think Brother Oshi. That there's not there's not going to be a home going service per se, but they're supposed to have something up your way. And uh, I, I think Brother Oshie said January 21st or 27th. I can't remember which, but Brother Oshie would know. Uh, but okay. they're going to have you all are going to plan something there. But as far as here in Durham, North Carolina, I don't know of anything because one thing, uh, Dr. Rogers, a uh, lot of people that he knew. Uh, you know, have gone on. They've they're, they've transitioned, and uh, he's been in Milwaukee for about with y'all left for about thirty thirty years, I guess, or more, and left here at about eighteen years of age. I see. Then he went to A and T. Then he went to Brooklyn, and hadn't been back here at all except to go to NCCU when he was about you know in his you know later years because he went to college late. But so most of the times in Milwaukee. So I think Milwaukee's planning something, and uh, okay. once I find out or get it from OSHA, I can pass it on. But uh, that's about it, I think. Okay. Yeah, but you, but you know, Doctor Bridges, and I, and I text his and I text his brother. His brother might be on too, uh, brother, and uh, he he could say brother Michael Rogers. He might be on. He went to uh, Jacksonville and saw him just before he passed. So if he's on, he would have that information too. Oh, and man. he'd be a he'd be a nine one nine. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, but yeah. Dr. Bridges, also, we have to thank you for um, the work that, that you're doing. I mean, to be in Durham, North Carolina, and to have the type of facility that you have been able to present to the community. And, you know, when you was talking about your Friday night jazz affairs, you know, to be honest with you, Dr. Bridges, it's really not surprising or shocking when you say that, you know, most of the participants on that evening were white folk. Because, you know, in all honesty, true this, we got to come to grips that the problem with our people is the Negro pain. That, that, that's, really, that's really our problem. That we're never going to be able to move forward in the manner in which we would like to as a people until we get them in line, man, because they're really nothing more than a hindrance to our, to our development, if the truth be told. And it's, it's, it's basically simple by their actions. I mean, just, just take into account what you're saying in regards to how you have a black college there within your town that doesn't participate. You have two of the so-called finest white colleges in the South that faculty participate. That just shouldn't happen, man. Your place is supposed to be a oasis of black progress. I mean, your place is supposed to be filled out every night with black folks not only participating in the restaurant, also purchasing your books and also celebrating what you're giving to them culturally, man. So I take my hat off to you, Dr. Bridges. And, you know, I can see why 
um, Doc Rogers thought so much of you, man, because of what you present to our people. And I hope all continues to go well for you. And we continue to um, honor Doc Rogers in some form and fashion because he was he was a great man, man. Just a, just a beautiful, absolute soldier and warrior to the end, man. I, I hope he has eternal peace and that the ancestors really embrace him. Thank you for your contribution, bro. Thank you. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, um, I'll go around to all of the people that spoke that knew Dr. Rogers personally and get their final thoughts. Um, and that, uh, if anybody wants to kind of slip in before we uh, uh, end things tonight, you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, 
abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they're always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation.
let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. <clears throat> it's nine, 9 o'clock, straight up in the city of Philadelphia, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, online memorial, on-air memorial and tribute to activist and educator and our host of Black Reality Think Tank, Dr. William Rogers. You can get involved in the conversation while we're still on the air because I want to go around to some of the uh, contributors tonight to get their final thoughts on Dr. Rogers. Before I do that, uh, 225 in Baton Rouge, are you there? Uh, yes. Uh, hello? Yes. Yes, I would. I would. I would like to read a tribute uh, that I that I wrote for Doctor Rogers. Certainly. Okay, it's titled "William Rogers and the Black Reality Think Tank." Boy, uh, my, oh man, um, Jesse Jackson began the era of peer politics, where, with the exception of a few individuals like Frederick Douglass, Martin Delaney, Adam Clayton Powell, and Ralph Bunch or the heroic efforts of Representative Shirley Chisholm to bring a folding chair, we are finally in the room. Before Jesse ran in 1984 and 1988, ours was a client politics, where, like Senator Ron Johnson's seditionist efforts to nullify the 2020 presidential election, we could only pass notes to the insiders. Unfortunately, the divide-and-rule politics played by those at the table only accepted notes that praised the status quo. So beginning with the Reagan revolution, most of the black community began to fall further and further behind, as only black sycophants were allowed to be note writers. Hip-hop returned the black voice to the agenda when the shining black prince Tupac Shakur imagined that he could use deprivation imagery to humanize those still at the social margins in the same way that dogs, fire hoses, and baton-wielding police humanize black children and churchgoers. But William Rogers anticipated this moment, this moment when we could do more than rap about our plight from outside or pass acceptable notes about it to those on the inside. Dr. Rogers' Black Reality Think Tank is a tool for people at the table. It is a space where black truths, once crushed to the earth, can rise, where the lights in black hearts can shine. Dr. Rogers' work is badly needed. On the eve of the uh, 2022 World Cup Championship, Howard historian and Africana scholar Greg Carr contrasted for his in-class with Carr co-host Karen Hunter the inability of U.S. blacks to talk as intelligently about politics as they can about football with the soccer and political fluency of African, Caribbean, and Latin American blacks. And in light of the Republican abandonment of economic conservatism and of democracy and their embrace of a triumvirate of a Christian theocracy, a Nazi-inspired autocracy, and a billionaire-based kleptocracy, his think-take idea couldn't be more urgent. For the future of black communities, of Milwaukee's community, of the United States, and of the world will not depend on the will of the people, the ability to gang up the most voices, 
but on the wisdom of the people, the ability to incorporate the most perspectives and to think through the consequences of our actions. This is precisely the role of a think tank, precisely the vision of Dr. William Rogers. Brother, thank you for your contribution. <clears throat> Beautiful. Uh, and, and listen, while you want to just give your final thoughts, I, I know you read the uh, the tribute, but give your final thoughts on uh, Dr. Rogers before we move to the next. Well, well, one of the things that that I would say that that uh, I've I've known him since the nineties. I'm I'm really from Milwaukee. I'm calling from Baton Rouge. This is James Q. For those who, who don't know my voice, um, but one of the things that uh, he seemed to be um, particularly interested in. Uh, he, he would talk to me often about uh, doing research on the black church on, uh, you know, that evidently uh, because one of the things that, uh, you know, the civil rights movement wouldn't even have been possible if it hadn't been for the uh, organization of the black church. And that was something that he was concerned to, uh, uh, you know, to sort of get a handle on. Rolla, thanks for your contribution. You're welcome. All right. Uh, we got two other calls that jumped on here. Let me clear them up, and then we'll go back around to uh, get final thoughts. Let's go to Milwaukee again. Uh, it looked like a, a sister on the line, Jeanette. Yes. Yes. Yes, the line's open. Oh, well, I'm just called um, uh, just learning about the tribute to Dr. Rogers. Well, I've been knowing Dr. Rogers ever since uh, he came to Milwaukee. I was a student of him when we were looking at uh, black theology. And also he worked with me uh, at um, Holy Redeemer. And uh, it was briefly, and I think he was ordained over at Holy Redeemer by Daniels, Bishop Daniels. Um and he was, I think he had got his uh, license for theology. But anyway, yeah, he was an awesome, awesome uh, uh, historian, very knowledgeable. And um, mo- mostly he focused on uh, black theology. And so, like I said, I took a class with him um, on black theology. So. But he's uh, he's definitely going to be missed. Many times we had conversations. He came to events um, that was offered in the community by me and other other uh, grassroots. And then and, uh, we had he had a class we on theology, like I said. And so we all had the class. It was extension from UWM. And so, uh, like I said, he's going to be missed. Thank you for your, thank you for your contribution, sister. Yes, no problem. All right, let's go to Durham again. Du- uh, Durham, are you there? Your line is open. Is that me, brother? Yes, sir. Doctor Bridges. Oh, this is Doctor okay. Bridges again. Okay. Um, right, I thought you were going to some other people. Oh, no, That's no, why no, I didn't no. think you were talking about me. Oh no, it's, a, it's somebody else. But I guess they're not. They they just want to listen. So I'll I'll just put them back on hold. Okay. okay. All right. I just like to just make one final comment that Doctor Rogers always used to like, and that is a statement that he and I talked about by 
the South African liberation fighter Stephen Biko. He always liked the statement that the greatest weapon in the hand of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dr. Bridges, one question that I want to ask you. Um, Dr. Rogers always uh, used to tell me that uh, he had students from Howard that used to do his research uh, sometimes for some of his programs. Are you familiar with any of them? No, as a matter of fact, when you said it, and I was thinking about it when you said it, um, before you asked me, was I familiar? Uh, students from Howard, I, I, I've never heard. He, he, he said that to you, he had students from Howard University that would do research for him, you said? Mm-hmm. Okay, that, now that's interesting. I've, I've never heard, he's never said that to me. I do know that he himself used to, you know, go to libraries around the country, and especially we talked about how he used to go into the, uh, before computers, to the microfilm at Duke University and uh, stay all day studying at Duke University. But the Howard situation, he's never mentioned to me. But, you know, it's very interesting, too, that you would ask me about Howard University because I was just before tuning into your program, listening to the Karen Hunter program on um uh, YouTube, and she, as you as you probably know, and other people know too, she always interviews uh, Dr. Greg Carr, who's the chairperson of the African Studies Department at Howard University. And in looking at that and really uh, analyzing it, and I've seen several of those programs, it just let me lets me know how much on target Dr. Rogers was, because I, when I look at those programs and listen to. Uh, brother Greg Carr and also Sister Carrie Hunter, I just see so much that's really missing from their discussions that Dr. Rogers and I have oftentimes discussed. And what I'm finding out that even when it comes to African-American scholars and historians, it seems to be pretty much the same as it is among white Media, media people. In other words, it depends on who you are, how well known you are, and how many people know you, and that kind of thing. But oftentimes, people like Dr. Rogers and other people who many people on a on a wider scale may never have heard of have more to offer and more to contribute and are more knowledgeable than some of the name brand people. I just happened to think about that because what really hit my mind, uh, brother, is the there was a discussion that Karen and Greg were having about Christmas, and she mentioned Santa Claus. And I thought about it when I heard that program, then I turned it off to tune into you. But when I heard that statement, because I know I can always go back to that, but when I heard that statement, I thought about the fact that had he had more knowledge of Christmas, its origin, growth, and development, and that kind of thing, and how it relates to black people, as the Shaka Musa Barashanga days wrote the book African People and European Holidays, and I myself, you know, used to, nothing I did too, other than the bookstores, I also had the first 
African-American talk show in Durham, North Carolina, called the Cultural Awareness Seminar. I was on commercial radio before they even podcast uh, every Saturday morning from 9 to 10. And about this particular time of the year, I would discuss the origin, growth, and development of Christmas and how that holiday and other holidays relate to black people and how we, we, we really have never been taught the knowledge of this. And I just saw almost as a pitcher is pitching a ball to a home run hitter and the home run hitter doesn't hit that, hit that ball, he lets it go by as a ball when he could have knocked it out the park. And so I'm just saying that Dr. Rogers, again, was one of the kinds of people who you may not have known about him if you were not in Wisconsin or if you were not in Durham like myself or had personal contact with him. But we as people have to begin to show respect and give, um, give, give, give some, some time and consideration. That's what I'm looking for. Some consideration to people they may never have heard of. It's not always the name brand people who come forth with the information. It could be some people who are somewhat obscure and known in certain areas that you've never heard of who can actually provide our people with more information and experience than those who are out in the media and in the spotlight all the time. And I hope that makes sense. Yes, it, it does. I, I'm just curious because I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm the callers that, uh, that want to get their final thoughts, stay, stay on the line. I'm coming yeah, yeah, back to you. No, no, let me say this in reference to what you said, because I'm just curious and it didn't only take a minute when she asked him, or made a comment in reference to Santa Claus, and he answered her. Did he? What did he say? Did he say anything in reference to the origin of these holidays? No, he went on to something else. It was related to that. I can't remember what it was, but like I said, I just saw a slow pitch that a home run hitter could have taken that Santa Claus and could have gone into the history of it with the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Yes. and the history of the whole um, uh, Santa Claus from St. Nicholas and the white supremacy that comes out of it and all kinds of things that he could have gone into, which would have been quite appropriate and quite uh, opportune at a time like this, this particular time of the year, because... You don't hear you, you hear very few people actually talking about the origins of these things and where they came from because most people don't know, and the and and, and the fact that most people don't know our scholars, you, you, they, they don't get into it. I, I don't think they've studied outside of what we've been taught to study. I, I remember talking to Dr. Clark many times. I mean, not many times, but uh, several years ago, and I was at a conference. And anyway, something came up about Halloween, and he told me that he said, I know very little about that. And this is uh, another thing I want to relate to that Sister Bernice was said, and that is that we as scholars have to understand that there is that, that there's a tremendous amount of information that we have access to today that we didn't have access to during the time of Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben, Amos Wilson, and, and um, that we, you know, Dr. Uh, G.K. Side, John G. Jackson, during that particular time. And us having access to that information, 
we have to avail ourselves of it, and we have to revisit a lot of the things that we said that have, that, that that was there, but had had not really been expressed to our people. And that's one thing that I thought about when I, you know, I thought about when when she when she mentioned Santa Claus. For example, I, I would love to have had I would love to have been on her program, and she mentioned Santa Claus to me. And then, you know, that, that was one that could have been hit out of the park and would have awakened our people tremendously in terms of the origin of it, where it came from, and how it was given to us as children on the plantation. But now you asked me a question that just came back to me. You asked me, what did he say? He did talk about colonialism. It came back to me. When, when you first asked me, I didn't think about it. But he did mention that, it, oh, they talked about the celebration of Christmas in Africa. And he did mention that it is just a result of, British colonialism. He did say that. So, yeah, it, it just came to me. I just didn't remember it at first. But he did mention that. And you see, on the back of my book, I talk about the fact that on the island of Jamaica, where snow is unheard of, people of African descent are singing chestnuts roast, roasting on an open fire, <laughs> Jack Frost nipping at your nose, and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Jamaica now, 90 eight degrees year-round, 95, 99% black, and people are talking about chestnuts roasting on the open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And he's right. Dr. Carr is right. That's British colonialism. And it's not just in Jamaica, but he mentioned it in Africa, but it's just so much more that could have been said about that. And those are the kinds of things that our people could use, as Brother Kwasi, I think, said earlier, somebody said, those are the kinds of things our people could use and implement into their daily lives to cause us to recapture our African minds and begin to think for ourselves. Yes. You see, you know, that, that's all I'm trying. Not, not trying to give a lecture or go into all that, but I just wanted to mention that, I, you know. I totally agree. Thank you, And maybe sir. at some point, maybe I can come on with you one, one Sunday night and, and, and discuss some and things. And talk about it. Yeah, oh, that'll be great. <laughs> I'll be in touch. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem. No problem. I just thought about it when I saw it. And see, the thing about that, I'm going to shut up. But the thing about it is, like I said, we as people have to stop depending on name brands all the time as the ones having all the information. As you well know, we're tributing Dr. Rogers, and we know about him in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, because of his work there. But on a national level, most people don't know anything about Dr. Rogers. But he had a tremendous amount of information to offer our people. So we have to stop depending upon media to feed to us who it is that we should listen to, you see. And I think about some other things, which I won't go into right now. I think about some things I've seen with, you know, Umar Johnson and some other. Anyway, but just wanted to mention that, brother. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Let's go back to uh, 214 in, in Prairie View. Uh, Sister Lotus, uh, your final thoughts on, on Dr. Rogers before we. Uh... Sister Lotus, are you still there? Sister Lotus? Let me put her back on hold. Let's go to Sister Benicia with some final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, Dr. Rogers was a gift to us. And, you know, as I was listening um, to what the brother was saying earlier, um, 
it appears to me, well, in my experience, it's those of us that don't get all over the media that oftentimes get the most work done. So um, I think it's better at times for us to stay under the radar and do the work. Um, and then also people that have these platforms, they are limited in what they can say. I mean, you can't even say Jew now on social media. I, I, I can't believe it, you know. So, so yeah, I just that, that just popped into my mind. But yes, Dr. Rogers was a gift, and I say, you know, let's keep on, let him be the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, he was building community. He was excellent at building community via black media. You know, let's keep this going with um, Brother Oshie's uh, uh, platform and Brother Elliot's pl- platform and, you know, any others that are talking about liberation. And lastly, um, let us take care of our elders. When I heard Brother Kwasi talk about how he was cooking for Dr. Rogers and taking him there and there, here and there, uh, I've heard a couple of our fantastic teachers, real black revolutionary liberation folk who died penniless and, you know, money having to be raised for their funerals and whatnot. We've got to take care of our elders who are, who've dedicated their lives to our liberation. Let us please keep that in mind. So let us keep this community uh, initiative going. Um, And and that way we'll keep his legacy and, and the other liberation fighters going oh one more thing uh, dr rogers was was hardcore in some ways um we were really angry about maybe one of the recent killings of uh, uh black youth and we, dr rogers and uh, maybe it was on one of the shows and and you know we were saying what are we going to do about this and dr rogers said kill him <laughs> just straight up kill him uh kill all the white folks so he could be hardcore too, as much. <laughs> y'all, y'all making me laugh. He <laughs> said, "Like kill him." Yeah, that's all. Two Stop words: playing, kill him. <laughs> so I just want to share that. Thank you for doing what you do, brother Elliot and and uh, brother Richard. Thank you for your contribution. Masheh, brother Kwasi, your final thoughts on Doctor Rogers and his uh, contributions? Well. Uh, I I just miss him, but I tell you, um, like Sister Benicia said, he uh, was a true warrior. And I know when uh, Brother Alfonso left, me and him used to hang out a lot. And, you know, I always had somebody I could confide in. And Doc Rogers was always one of those people. But that warrior spirit and uh, attitude and uh, that action in them to handle things and so forth and this and that. I mean, that, you know, that kept me going. And, I mean, he uh, just helped me so much and just giving me the direction and the ammunition to, you know, fight the good fight. So I thank him again for that. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, contribution and thoughts, brother. Yeah, brother, I I mean, I'd like to – just reflect as to all those people that spoke tonight is just a reflection of who Dr. Rogers was and and the way he touched them. Um, me, myself as well, I mean, I'm going to miss him, but I'm going to do whatever I can to keep his memory alive and con- try to continue to do the work. And all those who know him, uh, let's 
do something, do just that, is to um, uh, claim some part of him and just keep it alive with us. I mean, because the work that I do is going to be always in in honor of him. So um, I'll definitely be reaching out to the people that uh, feel the same way I the same way I feel about him uh, to do the work uh, that we have to continue to do in his honor. So. Thank you, Brother Kweku, for your thoughts. Brother Alfonso. Yes, yes. I am um, just filled with with joy and, and I'm overwhelmed in the spirit with what has been said about this beautiful brother. Um, uh, Doc Rogers was, was a historian, a scholar, but he was also a visionary. And um, so within the context of all of this conversation um, and, and all of the love that's being shown, he's still with us. So with his vision, um, we, we must continue to continue to put the work in. And with Black Reality Think Tank, we must continue to move that concept and that construct forward as it relates to um, how Doc Rogers shaped that 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 concept of creating a space for us once again to have um, intellectual conversations, but not just have the conversations, but how do we activate uh, all of this wisdom and knowledge and, and move it and disseminate it uh, um, to those of our people who can activate it? So um, I'm I'm excited about. 2023, um, Doc Rogers is still with us. So uh, I'm looking forward to um, being a part of continuing his legacy. So once again, Brother Richard and Brother Elliot, thank you all for um, taking this time to um, to embrace and, and speak and, and share the space uh, um, about Dr. Rogers. And, and let me say this. The, the last conversation I had with him was about three weeks ago. He had taken a hiatus from doing Black Reality Think Tank, Think Tank, but he was ready to come back. He told me that he wanted to come back. He gave me a date. And he also told me about uh, the elders of Sankofa and you and an, another sister that had been hosting. Uh, he never made it back to personally do the Black Reality Think Tank. But um, I'm looking forward to you, Brother Afonso, maybe continuing the elders of Sankofa uh, maybe on the same day or another day, if you choose to, we'll we'll talk. But uh, yes, brother, we yeah, he, we'll talk. He did mention to me about you know you coming back with him, and he mentioned the other sister too. I I got to try to reach out to her, the sister that was on Lotus. He mentioned her, so uh, I'll be in touch with both of you and and kind of see how you want to if you want to uh, do something on the platform and and how you want to do it. We'll 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 nail everything down. For sure, for sure, for sure. Thank you for your contribution, bro. Yes, much love and respect. All right. Richard. Yes. You know, yes. it it, it uh, it's good when a person's life's work kind of speaks for it. His fruits uh speaks for itself. <laughs> it's uh you know, I didn't know that uh Dr. Brother Elliot. Uh huh. Yes. Brother Elliot, I was wondering if, if I could make a final comment. This is Pew again. Yes, go ahead. 
you know, one of, one of the tensions between Dr. Rogers and I had to do with, um, you know, the brutality of slavery and whatnot. Dr. Rogers was really concerned with there being a full, a full accounting of just how brutal and um, how evil it was. And I just couldn't understand, uh, uh, you know, what his, you know, what the purpose of all that was. And uh, I remember um, how excited he was when, uh, I don't know if y'all remember in 2021 when Raul Peck, the Haitian documentarian, uh, he published um, Exterminate All the Brutes. Yeah. You know, the, uh, you know, the story of the genocidal, you know, uh, aspects of European colonialism. And I remember just how excited he was that there was this confirmation in the world that there were other people who felt that, hey, man, this stuff got to get out there. And, and he and that was one of the one of the real points that he was making to me is that, man, yeah, it might be true that we want to do some other things, but we do need to have a full accounting of the things that was done. And that was one of the um, concerns that he had. So. Mm. <laughs> wow. Thank you, brother. Richard, uh, you know, um, a man's work speaks for itself. Uh, yeah. A man's fruit, uh, what the, the scriptures uh, 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 says something about a man's fruits, and you'll know him by his works. So, uh, you know, the people spoke, and they spoke of the impact that Dr. Rogers had on their life. Uh, Dr. Bridges spoke about their friendship when they were young boys growing up and how certain things formed uh, Dr. Rogers' opinion on things. He seemed to be a real renaissance man, Richard, going from a, uh, an academic to a cop to back to an academic to teaching in college. And uh, I mean, boy, he... Uh, his, and a minister. His, yeah, exactly. His life seen it went full circle. But in those spaces, you can see that he touched a lot of people's lives in a positive way. So, uh, you know, we're going to continue what we do here. I'm glad to have him, that he was with us for a time. And his podcast will remain on the website so people can go back and listen to some of the uh, knowledge that was dispensed, some of the guests that he had on the program. They'll always be up there so people can hear it, part of the uh, library that we have in reference to his work. Mm. Um, before we go, Richard, um, because I knew that we planned to do this today, but during the between the last show, um, Malik Zulu Shabazz, the Black Lawyers for Justice, his uh, contact person, uh, Sister Brooks, sent me a audio of you remember when uh, Sister Sterling, and uh, which was uh, Emmett Till's uh, cousin, and the no. others were up there um, uh, had the. Uh, protests around the woman uh carolyn bryant that was living up there in bowling green right seemed to be running around first she was in i think she was in raleigh then she went up to bowling green i don't know whether she moved again but she's been kind of moving around and when they went up there and they had the protests i mentioned on the air that the naacp said that they didn't want it they wasn't getting involved you remember that richard right well they they made a audio presentation in the interim because uh, one of the protesters was arrested up there 
because they had a warrant for assaulting a police officer. And I asked uh, Sister Brooks, uh, you know, how did they arrest this man? Because they said several times in published reports and in audio that it was a peaceful demonstration. So if it was a peaceful demonstration, how did they come over and arrest him? Did, did the man go through a traffic light and they stopped him? They said no. He was, in fact, they got video of him over there setting up for when uh, Sister Sterling was going to do her press conference, and they came over and arrested him. So evidently it's, it was surveillance going on. It's obvious that it was. But uh, they went back, uh, Malik Shabazz and, and some of the others, because the man had been arrested and they weren't, wasn't allowing him to talk with anybody. So it was lawyers went there to find out his welfare and what was going on. And in the interim while he was there, the NAACP, along with a minister of the town, and I assume it was a uh, uh, maybe maybe one of the mega churches in Bowling Green, had a joint press conference along with the, the sheriff. It's a white sheriff and a black uh, uh, county sheriff or something like that. I'll play for you the clip of the NAACP and why they weren't getting involved and trying to get justice for not only the Till family, but for black America, for what happened to Emmett. And then you'll hear the pastor that came up after him. Richard, this kind of borders on what Dr. Bridges was talking about. Mm. And, and that was, uh, that was a, that was a, uh, a thorn in the side, so to speak of Dr. Rogers, this type of behavior and comments by people that look like us is really troubling. Let me play it for the listening audience. I would like to invite Ryan Dearbone to the podium. Thank you. The Bowling Green Warren County NAACP would like to take this moment to further address the circumstances which have led groups to come to our community seeking justice for the 1955 murder of Emmett Till. As we have stated previously, we are in complete support of justice finally being served in Mr. Till's atrocious murder. It's long overdue. However, despite what's been said by some, at this point, there is nothing that we can do here in Bowling Green or in Kentucky to aid in that. While Ms. Bryant Bryant Dunham does live in our community, that is not a fight that we are able to fight. Ms. Dunham is not a fugitive from the law, and she is not being harbored here in our community, as there are currently no charges against her. While we understand the intent of the groups who have come here to rally for Ms. Dunham, we will not join them in their efforts at this time. Our local unit, as well as the Kentucky State Conference of the NAACP, are focused on justice being served right now and here. There are people in places throughout our communities that need us to be there for them right now. And those are who we are focusing our energies on. We are constantly fighting to make sure another murder like Emmett Till's does not ever happen again. And that justice is served for anyone who tries to discriminate or intimidate people based off of race, gender, age, or other class. The Court of Public Opinion will judge Ms. Caroline Bryant Dunham based on her involvement in Mr. Till's death. We are closely monitoring the situation along with local law enforcement and are continually working with them to ensure safety and security for our community. Thank you. And I will bring up Pastor Lee. Richard, before I play the pastor, um, 
What do you get from that double talk that you just heard? <clears throat> just I, you know, I have to say in short, just the double talk. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't know what to say, Ellie. I'll, I'll say that I don't know what to say. Well, let me play this pastor, and then, because uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll probably get some updates uh, from uh, uh, Malik and uh, uh, Sister Brooks will probably be in contact with me. So, you know, this is not going away. But I'll play this pastor, and then we'll kind of uh, close the program out. But this is was the this was that was first the head of the NAACP there, and now here's a pastor um, from Bowling Green, and here's his comments. Good evening. My name is John Seeley Jr. I'm the senior pastor of the Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. This afternoon, I stand before you as a faith leader, not as the faith leader, and as a concerned citizen of Bowling Green, Kentucky. I would like to begin by quoting the New Living Translation of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, when it reads, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of us to do what is right to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God having said this I believe that we have a moral obligation to stand up for justice and for what is right however having said this I caution us against first of all having the law of the letter and not the spirit of the letter. Secondly, I remind us of the fact that God has many ways of executing justice. Thirdly, I remind us as people of faith that this verse reminds us that the Lord also requires us to love mercy. Fourth and finally, I would like to caution the citizens in general and the people of faith in particular to please be cautious against allowing people from other places that may or may not have the purest motives for what they do to come in and both excite and incite us to, quote, go to war, unquote, without first counting up the cost. I by no means mean to suggest that we should not stand up for justice because we've seen the cost of not standing up for justice. I simply remind us that we must be sure that we are all in. However, before you go all in, make sure that you have all of the facts because it's a dangerous thing to get some facts after the fact. In light of the things that I know to be a fact, I would like to say how proud I am of the way that all of our law enforcement agencies have collaborated together and has conducted themselves thus far to in order ensure that all citizens are kept safe as we continue to live, play, get an education, work, and serve here in Bowling Green. Again, I say thank you, and remember, we are Bowling Green Strong. Richard, 
Yeah. I'm not even going, you know, come on. You, 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 you see this? I mean, it, it, yeah. you know, we need all the facts. Listen, you know, I'm looking at this guy. If you don't know the facts of what happened around the murder of Emmett Till and that white woman accused him of whistling at her, according to his cousin, she was there when they pulled him out the house. You remember what she said, Richard? Right. And then it's a it's an unserved warrant that was found in the basement. If you don't know, what kind of facts are you talking about? Mm. And then he says, starts up some, about giving mercy. You know, listen. <sighs> wow. Number one, that woman ain't never asked for no mercy from black people. Period. She never even acknowledged that she was involved in it, even though she was. And her husband and all of them laughed about it when they got acquitted. And I'm quite sure she was part of the laughing, too. So, you know, come on, man. See, this is part of the problem, Richard. And, you know, I'm preaching to the choir when I'm talking to the audience, the time for the awakening. This is part of the problem. Because when you had stuff going on on the plantation, you had some of the ones that uh, that they that they wanted and that they uh, chose to preach Christianity to people, keep telling them to be calm and to have mercy when this type of stuff was going on. Here it is, 2022, and you got a pastor that got a nerve to get up there and say what you heard him say out of his own mouth. So I just want to thank uh, Sister Brooks. You know, because I'm, listen, when I get this information, I'm going to share it with the people so they can hear what these people are saying out of their own mouths. So they won't have to hear me calling these people names or Uncle Tom, whatever. You know, I, listen, their actions will call, their actions speak for them. You just heard these two people. I'm tempted to get this head of them or contact him to have him come on and explain his explanation. Because I'm quite sure it didn't come from him. Brother Elliot. Yes. Uh, when are you going to discuss this? Because uh, something is running through my head. I want to make sure I catch this if I can. Um, well, I, I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to contact uh, uh, Malik because they, they've been on this. And, uh, and when I discuss it again, I want to bring him on or at least some of the representatives. So it'll it, hopefully it'll be very soon. I, I'll make sure that you get the word. Would you please? Because one quick thing that's running through my head, um, as I look at the various situations where we're tortured and lynched and whatnot, there are some people that they just, or cases, that they just refuse to hold anybody accountable. George Zimmerman comes to mind. They mm -hmm. just refuse. And they put up all of these monkeys to say, you know, um, or coons rather, to say whatever they say. Um, and, you know, but yeah, so Zimmerman, Zimmerman was never held accountable. And this one keeps this old, um, whatever her name is, that uh, was deep throat kissing her husband when um, when uh, they were acquitted of killing uh, Emmett Till. Uh, that's all on film. I mean, it's horrible. But 
for you know, there's some cases they're just letting they refuse to hold these people accountable. So I'd like to hear a response to that because I'm noticing this. Well, this sister, pattern, sister. According to that pastor, you don't have all the information. Well, you just you just <laughs> saw it. I saw it too. I saw the warrant. Wow, I'll be. I'll, I'll let you know. You you'll hear about it. I'll be in touch. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank. You. Before we leave, let me give the abbreviated list, and it's very abbreviated, of the Time for Awakening programs. And hopefully uh, going into January, we'll have uh, some other ones joining. We've got some programs in the pipeline. Uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Always interesting conversation and guests on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. On Thursday, uh, from 7 to 8, uh, Mississippi on the Move. That's the Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi. Brother Patrick Lumumba is host. And on Fridays from 8 until Time for an Awakening. Here on the Time for Awakening Media. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school, they seem.
Children. To save the children.